Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and we're going to start at verse 7, which is at the foot of page 1160. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Penny, thank you very much for reading for us. Let's pray again. Father, we would ask for your help tonight. Please, after a a long day, would you give us minds that work and hearts that are humble? We do pray that you'd help us to not just understand your word tonight, but to be changed by it, to live lives that are different. Please help me as I preach to be faithful. And we pray all these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the middle of a series looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. And as we continue our series tonight, and we come to this famous passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there is a question that takes us to the heart of what Paul has to say to us tonight, and it it is rather an uncomfortable question. Here it is. Are we willing to be weak? My guess is that no one wants to be weak. Who wants to get to the end of a day and feel utterly exhausted? Who wants to look at the diary for the next few weeks and think, how on earth will I cope with all the things coming at me in the next few weeks? Who wants to be confronted with impossible decisions? Who wants to feel totally emotionally drained such that we have nothing left to give to other people? Who wants to be confused and bewildered? My guess is that none of us want to be weak. We want life to be easy and comfortable. We want good health We don't want to feel stressed and overwhelmed. And like so many of the adverts on social media and the TV, 
they're all about how to have a better, more comfortable, more straightforward life. There's a surfer company called Lazy Boy, and I love that thought of comfort. And of course, the world mocks weakness, rightly or wrongly, if you have a majority in parliament and then call an early snap election and then fail to win a majority, you look weak. And the world loves to mock weakness. But are we willing to be weak? I ask the question because tonight in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul describes for us what authentic gospel living and service looks like. And very simply, Paul says it looks like weakness. It looks like suffering. Even verse 10, it feels like being on our way to death. I bet you're glad you came tonight to hear 2 Corinthians 4. But actually, Paul's going to show us that there is, there is a purpose to gospel weakness. It's part of a wonderful and glorious story that God is weaving in this world. And our weakness and suffering is not pointless It's not because God is out of control. In fact, it's because he is in control. And if we can understand the place of weakness and suffering in our life, well, I think it helps us a very great deal to understand what God is doing in our lives and in our worlds. Are we willing to be weak? That's our question tonight. And as we dive into the text, here's our first point. Gospel weakness reveals true power. Look at verse seven. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The treasure that Paul is talking about, verse 7, well, it's the glory of God revealed in the gospel that we've been thinking about so far in 2 Corinthians. We saw it particularly last week. We saw that, that, that God is gloriously, powerfully at work in the world to, to bring people from darkness into light. And it happens through the powerful message about Christ revealed in the gospel. That's his glory. How does God transport this glorious treasure around in the world in some grand horse-drawn carriage with guards and fanfares? No, God uses a jar of clay. In the first century, a jar of clay was a a dispensable, ordinary container, uh, a bit like this, um, this can, which at, at some personal cost, I drank the contents of this beforehand to use this illustration tonight. And of course, now that you've finished drinking with the can, well, it's just disposable. You drink it, you crush it, you throw it away, and you're done. Out of sight, out of mind. That's what a jar of clay was like in the first century. Weak unimpressive, disposable. And Paul is saying, verse seven, that he is like this can, a jar of clay, weak, unimpressive, disposable. In chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul will talk about having a a thorn in his flesh. We're not quite sure what it is, but it's almost certainly some physical ailment or frustration which makes him very visibly weak. In chapter 10, Paul talks about how he's, he's great at writing letters, but when he comes and meets you face to face, he lacks power. He's unimpressive. And certainly compared to the super apostles with their powerful speech and effortless popularity, 
Paul and his gospel appears like a very weak man, a weak offering in a world that prizes power. Is Paul's weakness just bad luck, an accident of birth, God out of control? Not at all. There's a very clear purpose behind it. Verse one again, Paul is a jar of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. God deliberately uses a weak man, a, a weak person, a weak vessel to be the container in which the glory of his gospel is, tra- is transmitted throughout the world so that everyone is very clear where the true power lies. Not with the weak man, Paul, but with the glorious God and his gospel. And so when men and women and children hear this gospel and are brought wonderfully, powerfully from darkness to light, who gets the glory? It's not Paul. Not any of us. It's God. I enjoy watching Formula One racing and... um, when a car wins a race, there's always a big debate about who gets the credit for the victory. Is it the engineers who designed the superfast car, or is it the skill of the racing driver who drove the car so well? And there's this big debate, and no one can quite work it out, which is why at the end of a race, when the driver wins, um, he gets a prize, but so does the engineer. They both get um, credit at the end of the race because both had a role to play in the glory. But not so in gospel ministry. There is no debate about who gets the glory and the credit. Paul is a weak man, unable to open anyone's eyes, but God is powerful and he alone gets all the credit. God deliberately keeps his gospel workers weak so that his true power is revealed. Think of a friend of mine who is, uh, he works for a church in a different part of the country. He struggles with, at times, quite severe depression. He's on medication, and as far as he knows, he will be on medication for his whole life. And at times, his depression is, is a real battle. Uh, it, it makes his interaction with people exhausting and draining. Uh, he has described to me times when he, he crawls up into the pulpit thinking he's got nothing worthwhile saying at all. He feels so depressed about what he has to say. And he limps out of the pulpit afterwards. Uh, Because uh, of that dynamic in the pulpit, he's often anxious about what will happen when he preaches, and his anxiety often makes him feel drained and tired. In the words of verse 7, he is weak, a jar of clay. And um, you can imagine him thinking, he doesn't think, you can imagine him thinking, God, here I am trying to, to serve you. I'm trying to tell people about Jesus. We've got a great gospel to proclaim, but you've given me this battle with depression and it's, it's hindering me in my gospel ministry. It makes me less effective as a gospel preacher because if I didn't have this depression, then I'd be able to preach with more power and conviction. I wouldn't be so tired and anxious. I'd be better with people. He could think that. But I know him well and wonderfully He comes back to 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 again and again, realizing that God keeps his gospel workers weak so that it's very clear where the power is. I wonder about us here tonight. Paul is writing to describe his own personal gospel ministry, but 
it's not hard to see how the principle applies to each one of us. As we seek to follow in Paul's footsteps and to be those who tell people about Jesus, God keeps his gospel workers weak. I wonder what it is for us. Maybe it is depression for us. Uh, maybe it's a kind of a profound, um, we're introverts, and so we, we find being with people draining and difficult. We're shy and scared of a crowd. We don't want to talk about Jesus with people. Maybe when our friends at work ask us why we're a Christian, our minds just go blank. We can think of nothing to say. If only we had that quick answer ready to go, but we don't. I know other people who suffer from dyslexia, and because of it, they are unable to get their thinking clear in the moment. They can't get across what they know and love to be true, but it doesn't happen. When we meet up with a friend for a coffee one-to-one to talk about Jesus, when we prepare a Bible study, when we pray for someone, when we have a conversation with someone, when we speak to a friend about Jesus at work, at the school gate, in our class, why is it that so often it feels like such hard work? Why do we feel so bad at it? Because God keeps his gospel workers weak so that his power might be revealed in us. I guess we could apply this in all kinds of ways, but uh, here are just two thoughts for us tonight. If gospel weakness reveals true power, then I think we need to be honest about our weaknesses. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's very honest. In fact, he's uncomfortably honest at times about his own limitations and weakness. Not in a a self-indulgent or self-pitying kind of way, but he wants to dispel the myth that Paul, the gospel worker, has all that it takes to bring people from darkness to light. I look around the room here tonight and I see many uh, impressive people. Lots of people in this room are successful in lots of ways. Maybe we're good at exams. Maybe we're successful in business. Maybe we're successful socially. All kinds of ways that we are successful here tonight. My guess is that we'll find it hard to be honest about our weaknesses. To let people realize how difficult we find gospel work to be because in so many areas of life we are experts and we succeed Um, if we just uh, try hard enough with enough time enough power we, we get through and we solve the problem but when it comes to gospel ministry we're all weak we all stumble we all struggle and so I think we would do well to cultivate an atmosphere where we're able to be honest with one another about our weaknesses, to dispel the myth that we have all that it takes to be about gospel work with our friends and neighbors and family. And also it means that we must place our hope in the right person. Imagine um, the experience of bringing a friend along to to a church meeting, maybe to a carol service. Uh, Maybe you brought a friend tonight. I don't know. It's great if you have. Welcome if you're here and brought by a friend. But... um, when you bring a friend to church, you, you want them to have a good experience of what happens. Um, you want the, the singing to be loud and heartfelt, the band to be on good form. You want the, the preacher to be funny and engaging. And um, afterwards, you want, um, you want normal people to come up and say hello to your friends. You know, the kind of nice people who can chat and just come across as being not too weird because you know, Christians have a kind of you know, weird image. And um, at the end of it, you hope that your friend is, has been impressed by what they've seen. 
There's nothing wrong with all that. But if we are relying in those kinds of things to impress our friends such that they turn from darkness to light, it'll never happen. Instead, what we want them to come away with is thinking, wow, what a great God you love and serve. What a great Savior who's come to die for you. What a glorious message you believe. I want to believe that message too. Gospel weakness reveals true power. Next, gospel suffering reveals true life. I think so far Paul's been describing his own personal weakness as a human being, but now he turns, I think, to his circumstances. Look at verse eight. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. (laughs) It is an extraordinary journal isn't it? You can imagine the kind of thing that Paul means when he talks about this uh, list of, of struggles. And back in chapter one, verse eight, he talks about that moment when he was in Asia, when he was um, in despair, under great pressure, far beyond his ability to, to endure. In fact, he feared it for life itself. He was talking about uh, that moment in Acts 19 when faced with a mob who wanted to kill Paul. Um, he managed to escape with his life, but he had to walk away from two years of fruitful ministry in that area. And you can imagine him walking on the road away from Asia, thinking, what was that all about? Being run out of town, trying to be killed for what I was preaching. All that hard labor for two years, seemingly over in an instant. You can imagine him being perplexed, bewildered, but not destroyed. Again and again, as Paul traveled around speaking about Jesus, this was his experience. I think it was Rico Tice who makes the point that if Paul ever arrived into a new town, he wouldn't be asking what the hotels were like, but rather what the prisons were like. But why is this Paul's experience? Has has God abandoned his apostle? Has God forgotten about Paul as he's busy doing gospel ministry? Or is God... Caring but powerless to intervene, such as the strength of the mobs. Why does God allow such circumstances in Paul's life? Well, verses 10 and 11 give us the answer. Verse 10 We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. He makes almost exactly the same point in verse 11. Now this just needs a bit of uh, unpacking. Here Paul connects his experience with the experience of Jesus. Remember Jesus, he, he suffered death on a cross before being raised to eternal life. And that too seems to be Paul's experience. He, he suffers the kind of suffering Christ experienced whilst also then experiencing the life that Christ brings. There's a link between the pattern of Christ, suffering and then life, and then Paul's experience, suffering and life. You see that there's a connection. And there's a connection because Paul has been joined with Christ. Paul shares with Christ all that Christ has, both in his suffering and his life. Think of a couple who get married. We've mentioned two getting married tonight. When a couple become married, two become one flesh, and 
when both people bring together to the marriage all their possessions that they own, that they share everything. Um, they share their money and um, stuff, and if they have a car, they share the car. All the, 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 the blessings that come with the other person, they share that. But they also share the, the kind of less attractive things. Um, when Lorna uh, married me, she um, became co-owners of all my old jumpers with holes in them and my smelly shoes, the, the kind of things that she wouldn't really want, but yet they came with me. She became a co-owner. That's what happens when two lives are joined together. And something similar happens when anyone is joined with Christ. We share in what he has. This means that we should expect to share in his sufferings. We shouldn't be surprised if our families or, or, or friends think we are crazy for following Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when leading a Bible study about Jesus just feels like hard work. To share in Jesus means to share in his sufferings. I don't mean just sort of any old hardships. Um, we can experience uh, hassle because we're annoying. <laughs> That's not the kind of uh, suffering Paul means. He means suffering for the sake of Jesus precisely. And to suffer this way is a sign that we have indeed been joined with Jesus. But we also share in his life. Life now in the present as Jesus sustains us and keeps us through the suffering, but, but also eternal life which lasts forever beyond the grave. Life that cannot be thwarted by hardship or suffering. And it's as we experience both this suffering and this life that, that somehow our message about suffering, sorry, our message about a, a suffering, life-giving Jesus is authenticated and amplified there's a, there's a link between our experience and, and what we talk about. Uh, let me put it this way. I've I, I, I got a good friend of mine. He's um, known him for many years. Uh, he, when he was younger, was a very good footballer. In fact, he, he had the potential to play professionally. Um, he was also very clever, annoyingly, and um, he had the potential for a great career in business. But he's now a missionary in the Far East, telling people about Jesus. Uh, we keep in touch often, and uh, he describes to me what life is like, and often it is hard. It's agony. He's had to learn a new language. That took him many years. He's had to understand the culture, and he still hasn't quite got his head around the culture. He misses home profoundly, and so does his wife. Uh, just recently, uh, the minister of his local church was taken ill suddenly and collapsed, and my friend had to step up and lead the church unexpectedly, and he was completely out of his depth. He didn't know what he was doing, and he was overwhelmed by the circumstances. He is often per perplexed and confused, overwhelmed and out of his depth. We might wonder, why, why give up the easy life? Um, you know, the kind of the, the, the football career or, or the, the big salary in this country, why give up that to suffer and be perplexed? You would only do it if you believed in the life that Jesus gives when you're joined with him. And you'd only do it if you believe that people around us in the world desperately need to hear about this life that comes through a suffering servant, Jesus Christ. And as my friend is there with these businessmen talking about Jesus, there's something about his life which authenticates the message, his willingness to suffer and be weak. He would only do it if he believed in the life that Jesus brings. 
And these businessmen see my friend living out the very message he proclaims. And so verse 12, Paul concludes, so then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Somehow in God's economy, as his gospel workers experience suffering in life, God uses that experience to authenticate and amplify the message they preach. And so as people watch gospel workers dying, they understand the life that Christ brings and they believe. Some of you might know the story of uh, Polycarp. He was a second century bishop in Smyrna uh, who knew and loved Jesus. But as persecution broke out against the Christians, he was arrested and sentenced to death as he was being tied up to be burnt at the stake, he was invited to recant his faith in Christ. And in response, he spoke these famous words that are here on the screen. He said this, Eighty and six years have I served Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? I bless thee for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour, that I might be among thy martyrs and drink the cup of my Lord Jesus Christ. And then they killed him. Polycarp shared in the sufferings of Christ. Why would he do that? Because in the moment of testing, he was confident that Christ would look after him. Christ offered him eternal life, you see. It's okay to die in this life because there is life after the grave. But also, do you see, Polycarp has left us with a witness to the power of Christ in his Death, life is at work in others. We hear of his wonderful willingness to suffer and die, and life is at work in us. We think, what a mighty savior he followed, and we find life in Christ as well. Gospel suffering reveals true life. I wonder if we are willing to be given over to death so that others might live. Are we willing to demonstrate our belief in the eternal life that comes through Jesus by not holding on to the things of this world for our life? Perhaps it might mean saying no to that promotion at work, saying no to a pay rise, therefore, so that we might have more time to spend with our non-Christian neighbors. Perhaps it would mean losing friends at school because we're bold about Christ. Perhaps it would mean moving to Doncaster. Tim's reminded us again tonight of our plans to plant a church in Doncaster. It might feel a bit like death, although Paul does assure me that Doncaster isn't that bad. Um, but there is, a, there is a question for us to ask. Would we be willing to uh, lay aside our plans and our dreams and our physical comforts and securities we might have here in S10 to move somewhere that's much harder, much less comfortable, if you like, a kind of dying, in order that others might live. Gospel suffering reveals true life. Well, finally, here's our third point. Gospel proclamation reveals true confidence. 
In verse 13, Paul quotes from Psalm 116. It's a psalm where the psalmist is facing death, but then God steps in and delivers them. And in that moment of deliverance, the psalmist realizes that God has enough power to defeat even death itself. And because the psalmist becomes so convinced of God's power, he is compelled to speak. And so too the Apostle Paul, verse 13. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. You see, Paul's utter confidence about God drives him forward to speak about God. And what is Paul so confident about? Well, verse 14 tells us. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Paul pictures that moment when Christ returns in all his glory and um, we're all gathered around the throne of glory. And Paul looks around the room and realizes it's not just Paul and Jesus, but actually looking in the crowd, he, he recognizes people, people he's known and loved and, and ministered alongside, people he's brought life to as he preached the gospel. And these two are with him before the throne in the new creation. And it's that moment in the future made possible through the resurrection of Jesus that Paul latches his mind onto and which gives him such confidence. He, he believes this is true, therefore he must speak about the life that comes through Jesus. I have to ask, do we believe that there will be that moment to come? when Christ returns, and we are indeed gathered before the throne of glory. Do we believe it? Can we picture it? It's in the diary. If you're like me, then perhaps we do believe it, and yet the things of this world seem so real and attractive. The home comforts, the the nice neighborhood, a, a healthy bank account. And even though we know it's not the answer, we, we find life now in these things of this age. And as we do that, we, we struggle to picture the reality of eternal life that comes through Christ in the new creation, gathered around the throne. What does Paul do? Well, he fixes his eyes on that day. It's in the diary. Because Christ has been raised, we too will be raised And on that day, he firmly fixes his mind. And so he speaks with great boldness, great conviction. He would say to people, life is not found in the things of this age. They pass away, they fade, they spoil. But life is found in trusting in Christ. To the extent that we believe in eternal life through Jesus alone, to that extent will we be willing to speak up and tell our friends about our hope. Gospel proclamation reveals true confidence. It won't be easy. People all around us are living for this age. Remember, the God of this age has blinded their eyes. They think that their best shot at life is in the career now, in the bank account now, in the things and stuff of this age. And we'll need great confidence to proclaim a different message and a different hope. But I do know it'll be worth it. Imagine that final day, gathered around the throne of glory, 
we, we won't be thinking about what degree we got in our exams. We won't be thinking about how much money we earned in our lives. We won't be thinking about how many bedrooms we managed to add onto our homes or what postcode we ended up living in. We will be thinking about people, the people we explained Jesus to, the people that we helped in God's power to move from darkness to light by explaining the gospel to them. And as we look around that moment, what will bring us great joy, it'll be seeing these dear people with us in the new creation, beyond death and suffering and tears. And of course, as they are there with us, verse 15, they will be praising God for all that he's done for them. And the end of it all is that what overflows is glory to God as men, women, and children realize that he has rescued them from death, he's given them eternal life, and they praise him. What a wonderful God we have. Are we willing to be weak? It won't be easy. And yet, by being weak, by by being willing to suffer, by being willing to do whatever it takes to, to tell people about Jesus, we are playing our part in something wonderful and glorious. And on that final day, and it will happen, as we gather around the throne, we won't mind the fact that on our way, we had to be weak. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these words that point us back to Christ. We thank you for the life that he brings, eternal life, life beyond the grave, life in the new creation where there's no pain or suffering or tears. Father, please help us to believe in that life and to believe in a way which causes us to speak confidently and boldly, in a way which helps us to endure suffering now, weakness now, for the sake of others. Father, please help us. We need your help. We are weak. And so we ask for the help of your spirit in us. Please help us to be bold. Please help us to speak much and think much about Jesus. We pray this for your glory. Amen.